The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Welcome to Ambassador this morning. Thanks so much for coming with us. We're going to be in Mark chapter number 5 this morning. We're going to read two different sections of the chapter. We're going to read verses 22 and 23, then we're going to pick it up in verse 35, uh, where the narrative that we're looking at continues this morning. Mark chapter number 5, verse number 22, the Bible says, And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, talking about Jesus, he fell at Jesus' feet. And he besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. Let's pick it up in verse 35. While he yet spake, there came from one of the rulers of the synagogue's house certain, which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, so he's, he's talking to Jairus, he says, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado? Why, why all the commotion and weep? The damsel is not dead. But sleepeth, and they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him, and he entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand, and said unto her, Talithi kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, Arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. Well, my very first experience with death in my young life uh, did not happen necessarily with a person, uh, but rather with a little animal that I had. How many of you remember, remember when your first pet passed away? Raise your hand. Do you remember this day? It was kind of traumatic, wasn't it? For me, what happened was I was, uh, was a paper boy delivering the Fresno Bee. I had an opportunity on one day. One of my customers invited me over. Their uh, cats had just had a litter of kittens, and as a tip, they decided that they were going to give me one of these kittens. So they brought me into their house, and there was all these little kittens. And, and for those of you, how many of you, how many of you are kitten people, all right? You kind of like cats? No cat people in here. We got one, all right? How many of you can't stand cats, and you're like, get done with this story and get to real preaching? All right. And so there was these little cats, and uh, you know, they have big old eyes and they're just all little and everything. And I was looking at the different ones, and there was this one little cat, and, and, and something was a little deformed uh, with its paws, its front paws. It actually had like these thumbs on its paws, and uh, normally cats don't really have thumbs, you know, and this cat had thumbs, and it almost made it look like that this cat was wearing mittens everywhere that it went. And so I decided to grab that particular cat and named him Mittens. And uh, it was kind of my first uh, personal pet that I had, and uh, mittens would run around the house, and we'd play. It was just a fun time. As a little kid, having that little kitten, it was, it was kind of a, you know, it was just like, that's my cat, you know? And uh, it had the uh, little paws there. And I remember it was my birthday, and this is why it so sticks out in my memory so much. It was my birthday, and uh, our family was doing all the little birthday things and, and stuff. And, and there we were. I was in the front yard of our house, and mittens, for whatever reason, decided to jolt out into the street and just this mittens jolted out in the street, a car came, 
and ran over mittens. And uh, I told this story in the early service, and uh, people started laughing. <laughs> I don't know what was going on. It was not a joke. It was a true story. And they started laughing, and it's not a funny story. It's a sad story. So you can go, oh, you know, they get, my cat died. And I remember just as a young kid being just traumatized, you know, that my very own little pet had passed away. How many of you ever had a, a pet pass away? Maybe it was a dog, maybe it was a cat. That's a tough, that's a tough day, you know, when your, your pet passes away. And I remember just as a kid, for the first time, having to wrestle through death, you know, and, and how handling death, it's, it's just a, it's a unique experience. And for many of us, when we're younger, it starts with pets. And as we grow older, uh, then all of a sudden we're having to deal with the death of loved ones and people who are close to us. A few months later, um, I had the opportunity once again, there was a, a little litter of kittens, and somebody had said, hey, you can pick out whatever kitten you want. And I noticed, it was so funny, I noticed as I looked through the group, there was another little kitten uh, that had those little mittens again. And I thought, that's the one I want. I got, I named, it was like, it was like a Mittens 2.0, you know? And I got that cat, and I, I'm pretty sure uh, Mittens 2.0 lasted a, a little bit longer. But if you've ever had a situation where you've had to come face to face with death, you know how traumatic that particular moment can be. And what we're going to discover today is simply this, that with God, this is the theme for the message this morning, with God, the death of a thing isn't always the end of the story. Now, I understand we could be talking about death in a physical perspective, but where I want to apply some of this today is simply by saying, for some of us, we're in a situation where death may be coming to our finances, or maybe death is coming to a relationship, or maybe death is coming to a marriage, and we're going to talk about the fact that with God, the death of a particular thing isn't always the end of the story. In fact, with God, as we're going to see as we work our way through the text this morning, with God would appear hears like the end of a thing is often just the start of something brand new. And so if you'll allow me this morning, let's jump into our passage, begin reading in verse number 23, and we're going to move through this text and have a Bible study this morning that I hope will encourage our hearts. Notice what the Bible says here in uh, verses number 22, uh, in verses number uh, 20, uh, yeah, verse 22, it says, Behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue. So uh, for those of you who are new to church world, the synagogue is where uh, people would go to worship, much like in our day and age, people come to church in this day and age they would go to a synagogue. And so the scriptures say that there was one of the rulers or, or one of the overseers, one of the leaders of this synagogue. His name was Jarius, all right? And uh, the Bible says that this man by the name of Jarius had a daughter. We're going to see in the latter parts of the passage that his daughter was 12 years old. So here's a, here's a pastor of sorts. You know, he's a ruler, a leader at a synagogue, leader of a church, and he has a 12-year-old daughter. I was reading this this week, and I thought, ah, oh, that sounds kind of familiar. I'm a, I'm a pastor, you know, I, I lead at a church and I too have a 12 year old daughter. And so to help illustrate this, I'm going to ask my daughter, Ashlyn, you want to come to the stage for a second here? I'm going to ask Ashlyn to come up. Ashlyn is 12 years old. This week is her birthday. She is going to be 13 years old this week. And so this is, this is awesome. And, uh, can you believe, I look way too young to have a teenager, don't I, you know? And uh, this is my teenage daughter. We went to Magic Mountain. Uh, when was that? We went to Great America this summer. And when we went to Great America, uh, we had a couple of people 
they asked me, they asked me how old my sister was. And uh, so I was like, oh man, either, either, either she's looking really old or, or something, or what, I don't know what was going on, but she thought that she was so embarrassed by that, that somebody thought her dad was her brother, you know. And uh, she's 12 years old. Her birthday's this week. She's going to be 13. But as I was reading this passage, I was thinking to myself, okay, here I am. I'm, I'm a leader of a church, just like Jared's a leader of a church. He has a 12-year-old daughter. I have a 12-year-old daughter. And I know how much I absolutely adore Ashlyn. And she, she's my only daughter. She is my favorite daughter. And uh, I love her to death. And, uh, you know, and I've got two boys too. I, you guys are all right. You know, I like you too, man. And you're, you're cool. <laughs> But uh, she's my princess, you know, she's my daughter and I love her. And I can just imagine Jarius and his daughter and just the, the memories they would have made as she was growing up and the times they would have spent together. I'm sure they walked together and they had conversations and they talked and they had good times. And maybe even Jarius and his daughter went to Six Flags and rode, you know, I don't know if they did that or not. But they, they just, I'm sure they spent time together. In fact, the Bible says here when Jarius is speaking to Jesus about his daughter, even though she's 12 years old and she's growing up, you'll notice the phrase that he uses to Jesus and he says, my my, my little girl, my little daughter. How many of you who have daughters know, realize that no matter how old they get, they're always just your little girl? And that's how Jarius felt, you know? It's just my, it's my little girl. And, and man, everything's going well, but sometime at the point where she was 12 years old, uh, the scriptures begin to say that maybe she began to get a little sick, you know? Maybe one day they're walking along and, and uh, Jarius' daughter starts to cough a little bit and she gets a, a little bit sick. And so uh, get sick for me for a moment, all right? Okay. All right, there, good job, all right? She's, she's like a Hollywood actress, you know? Look at this. Uh, she's just sick there. And uh, so, man, so, you know, they're doing everything, probably bringing, you know, the chicken soup and, and trying to bring the medicine and doing everything they can. They bring the doctor over, and maybe she's getting worse and things aren't getting better. And one day the doctor calls over Jarius and his mother, uh, Jarius and his wife, and he says, I need to talk to you for a moment, and we're going to see this played out in a moment. And the doctor gathers them two around, and he says this. He says, I, I don't know how to tell you this, uh, but your daughter... Uh, I, I can't do anything else. She's going to die. And I don't know, for those of you who are parents, <laughs> that was awesome, right? <laughs> Just right on cue, she died. And uh, she, this is awesome. She's going to get an Oscar or an Emmy for this performance. This is amazing. Good job. And so the doctor says, the doctor says, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but she's she's not going to survive. And if you're a parent, just imagine yourself. I, could, I couldn't even imagine if, if I got a phone call today uh, from a doctor down at Children's Hospital and they said, hey, we ran some tests on Ashlyn. I know it's going to be her birthday next week, uh, but she might not make it. Can you, I just want you to put yourself in this situation. Imagine all the thoughts that would be running through your head in that moment. Many of you have daughters. And, and to you, no matter how old they are, they're still your, they're still your little girl. Just like, they were to, just like they were to Jarius. And you can just imagine how his heart was just wrecked in that moment. The Bible says she was at the point of death. She hadn't died yet, but she was at the point of death. Death was imminent. It was going to happen. And you can just imagine the tears that started to roll down Jarius' wife's face. And as they cried together, as they prayed together, and they're just there wondering what they're going to do and how this is all going to come together. And what we're going to see here now is as you read this text and you see this situation, all of a sudden you see them, which leads us to our first thought in the story, and that's this. We see a desperate situation. Ashlyn, thank you so much. You did an awesome job. That was incredible. Uh, way to go. And uh, happy birthday, you know.
I'm so glad I was preaching this sermon this week. If I preached it next week, it wouldn't have worked. She'd have been 13, and it wouldn't have worked for us. And so then you wouldn't have gotten to see her amazing acting skills, all right? And so here we find ourselves, first of all, from this passage, verses uh, number 23, I want you to see a desperate situation. He says here, he calls her her, his little daughter. Uh, The Bible says here uh, in verse number 23, and Jairus besought, he, he sought Jesus greatly, saying, my little daughter, come. The Bible says in verse 22, when, when Jairus saw Jesus, notice this, he fell at his feet. Literally, he is so overwhelmed by what's happening. His daughter's about to die. He's so desperate. He's just in this place of like, what are we going to do? And so he's like, I remember there's this one, there's this Jesus. Jesus can do something about it. And so he finds, he goes to where Jesus is, and the Bible says he rushes up to Jesus, and he literally falls on his feet, and he's like begging, literally crying out, saying, Jesus, please, 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 I have my daughter, and she's about to die. You've got to help. And we see this desperate situation. I don't know for you what your desperate situation might be, but I I have to know that in the broken world in which we live, there are many people, even in our room today, who are finding themselves in a desperate situation that is at the point of death. And, and maybe for you, it's not your daughter. Maybe for you, it's not your son that's about to pass away. And maybe for you, it's not a loved one that's, that's about to, you know, uh, pass away. Maybe for you, it's the death of something else. Something else in your life is at the point of death. There might be someone in this room today, and your marriage is like at the point of death. Like for years you've been working at it. For years you've been doing everything you can to try to bring the relationship together. You've been working at it. You've been striving toward it. But it seems like as the months and years go on, the distance between you grows wider and wider and gets colder and colder. And literally it's as if death is there. Your marriage is at a point of death. It's, it's, It's dangling by a thread. Maybe you're here today and it's your health. And, and you're just sitting here and you, you feel like your health is just, it's, 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 it's falling apart. You've gotten the phone calls from the doctors. They're putting you on so many different medications. They're wanting you to go through so many different procedures. And it's just like you feel like your health is just literally falling apart. We have some young adults that attend our church, and I know sometimes for young adults, sometimes what they struggle with so much is their future. They, they have all these plans, they have all these dreams, they have all these goals, all this stuff they want to accomplish, and as they keep moving through life, they're 21, and they're excited, and they're optimistic, and then they get to be 24 and 25, and they thought, by now, surely they'd find somebody that they could marry. By now, surely, you know, they'd get their careers figured out, and if they're not careful, all of a sudden, many of our young adults are starting to think to themselves, man, I feel like my, my future are, is falling apart. I feel like my dreams are falling apart. I, I, I feel like, man, my dreams and my plans and my goals for the future are literally at a point of death. Maybe for a few of you, it might be your finances. And you've just been treading water with your finances and, and you're trying to do everything you can do to work overtime and, and to bring in the funds so you can pay the bills and it doesn't, seems like no matter how hard you try, you're just drowning in all of it and you feel like financially speaking, you're live, you're like at this, you're, it's just at a point of death financially and I, I don't know where each and every one of you are at specifically but I, I have to know that in the broken world in which we live, many of us here are struggling and we find ourselves in a desperate situation 
situation where whether it's financially or relationally or emotionally or in our marriage, we have some situation that is at the point of death and it's absolutely desperate. But what I find so amazing about this passage is that we see Jairus here and he says in verse number 23, he comes to Jesus saying, my daughter lieth at the point of death. She's gonna die. The doctors have already written it off. But notice at the end of verse 23, he says to Jesus, I pray thee. He says, I beg you. On his, on his knees, he's saying, I beg you. He says, come to my house. Lay hands on her that she might be healed. Notice what he says. And she shall live. So here's Jarius. He's in the midst of this desperate situation. I mean, his daughter is at death's door, but he hasn't lost faith yet. He hasn't lost hope. He's heard about this Jesus. He knows what he can accomplish. He's heard about the miracle he's done in the past. He's maybe had somebody that he knew who Jesus healed from a disease. And Jarius is filled with all types of faith. He's filled with hope. He literally comes to Jesus and he's begging. It's a desperate situation. He gets on his knees and he's begging Jesus to come heal his daughter. But notice that as he's begging, his heart is filled with faith. He's like, come, Jesus, I believe that if you'll come, all you have to do is just touch her. I believe it. And not only will she be better, I believe that she will live. And you see, as Jarius is moving through this desperate situation, he never loses hope right now. He, he's full of faith. He's, he's full of, of just this uh, trust that, that Jesus can make this right. It reminds me of Job. In the middle of the scriptures, we find a character by the name of Job, and he goes through all these trials. His children pass away. He loses his career. His marriage is all messed up. His health is falling apart. And then we see in the middle of this entire story, Job says this to God in a prayer. Job 13, verse 15, Job, in the midst of all of his just a difficult, desperate situation, he says, though you slay me, God, though it seems like you're ruining me, I will trust in you. Wow. I don't know if I could do that. But that's where Jarius finds himself. It's desperate. His daughter is at the point of death. But up to this point, he still believes that God can do the miraculous. What a, what a great posture of the heart. But the story doesn't end there. All of a sudden, verse number 24, the Bible says, and Jesus went with Jairus. So Jairus is describing this situation. Jesus is like, all right. And Jesus begins to follow Jairus. He's gonna go to his home. This is interesting. But much people followed Jesus. And the Bible says thronged him. They crowded around him. They crowded in on him. And I don't know exactly how the story went, but I'm sure Jarius is in a hurry. He knows what the doctors have said. She's just got a little bit of time to live. And so Jarius is making his way through the crowd. He's, come on, Jesus, let's go. And he's making his way through the crowd and they're pushing through. He's got to get home. They've got to save his daughter. She's got to be healed. And he's pushing, he's pushing. And all of a sudden he turns around. And here's what's really interesting. Jesus isn't there. Because what you're going to find from verses number 25 all the way down through verses number 34 for 10 verses, right in the middle of this desperate situation that Jairus finds himself in, like all of a sudden now, Jesus is now tending with an entirely different situation. Some of you who have been in church for a while, you know the story where Jesus heals the woman with the issue of blood. 
okay? That miracle that Jesus does there is smack dab in the middle of this story of Jairus. That's why Pastor Nick a moment ago had to read one section of the scriptures, then he had to skip 10 verses and come back to the story because smack dab in the middle of this story, Jesus is like turning his attention somewhere else. Have you ever been there before? You're in this desperate situation and you are doing all the right things. You are praying about the situation and it's not just that you're praying with your words. Your heart is filled with faith. You actually believe that God is going to do what God says he can do and you're believing this and you're hoping for this and you're putting your faith and confidence that even though the situation is desperate and even though it seems like there's no way out, you have full confidence that God's gonna take care of this and so you go to God. That's who you're supposed to go to. Your heart is filled with faith and all of a sudden here in the middle of all this, you find yourself in a waiting moment you ever been there before you've gone to God in prayer you're asking God it seems like God's responding you're like yes God's God's coming through and then all of a sudden you turn around and it's like where'd he go in fact to make matters worse in this particular passage Jesus is now dealing with this other woman with the issue of blood he's he's focused in on her have you ever been in a situation where, where what you were going through was so desperate? And maybe it was financially and maybe it was in your health and, and maybe it was with a loved one or in your marriage and you're begging God and you're having faith and you're believing that God can do what only God can do and all of a sudden one day you turn around and it, it's almost as if like God's not there. You're like, what's going on here? And then in this moment you start looking around and you see other people at the church and you see other, peop- other Christians and it's like, all of a sudden, God's, God's working on their behalf. And, and this is a little bit of what Jarius could have felt like in this moment. It's like I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. And yet here, where, where's God? Doesn't he realize we're in a hurry? My daughter's about to die. Why is he pulling aside? Why is he focusing on this situation? And Jesus makes Jarius wait. Maybe you're in a situation and your marriage is on the rocks and it's falling apart at the seams and it's desperate. And then over here, you see God working in somebody else's life. You see God doing the miraculous in somebody else's situation. Maybe your life and you're at the just you're at the point of bankruptcy and you're like you i can't figure out how to make the funds come in and you're like begging god to provide and to do a miracle and then all of a sudden you hear somebody at church come up to you and say hey i just want to give you a praise god provided for me financially won't you rejoice with me and you're like oh yeah praise god and you know in the back of your heart like you know you're like i'm gonna have to go see a bankruptcy attorney tomorrow and we're just being real for a moment. You know what I'm talking about? Like when, when, when you're in a desperate situation and it feels like God's there for everybody but you. I'm just being honest. There are times where I feel like that. Like I feel like I'm doing the right thing. I'm praying, I'm going to God. And why does God seem to be there for everybody else except for me? Why is God interceding on, in every other situation but mine? In fact, we're gonna see here that one verse goes by 
And then three verses go by, four verses and five verses and six verses. And Jarius is just like looking at his clock if he had one, looking at his watch and saying, Jesus, come on, hurry up. We've got to do something. She's about to die. This is desperate. I don't think you understand. I realize that this lady has an issue of blood, but I, I, I also know that it, it ain't going to kill her. She, she's had this for a long time. Let's go deal with my situation first. You can come back and deal with her. Like, I'm sure in Jarius' mind, he's trying to prioritize. Listen, this is, this, is, this is important. This is desperate. Ten verses go by, which leads us to the second aspect of the story, and that is where we see that this desperate situation begins to turn into a hopeless situation. Notice verse number 35. And while Jesus yet spake to this woman, so he's, he's not even focused on Jarius anymore. We could say Jairus got to Jesus first. But now Jesus is dealing with this woman. And while Jesus spoke to this woman, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house. So somebody from Jairus' home came to Jairus and said this. Thy daughter is dead. Imagine if that was your daughter. Imagine how that would feel. It'd be like a knife to the heart. She's dead. She's dead. It's one thing when you find yourself in a desperate situation, but what do you do when that desperate situation turns into a hopeless situation? You see, before, Jarius was like, Jesus can heal somebody who's sick. He'd never heard of somebody being raised from the dead. Which leads us to the second aspect of our story, and that is this. We see a desperate situation turn into a hopeless situation. And maybe that's where you find yourself today. You're like, yeah, a year ago I was in a desperate situation in my marriage. A year ago I was in a desperate situation in my finances. A year ago, I was in a desperate situation, you know, with my health. But right now, it's hopeless. It's hopeless. Like you have no more hope. Are you there? I have to believe in a room this size, as I had the opportunity of talking to some folks after our first service. There's some people, yes, their situation is desperate, but there's a lot of people and their situation is flat out hopeless. From the physical realm, there is no way that they can see God orchestrating anything good from the situation. It's a dead situation. Maybe that's where you're at. If you're in this moment and a while ago, back a while when it was desperate, you were looking for a promotion at work and now that it's hopeless, now you're just looking for a job. When it was desperate, you just needed some more money to make ends meet. And, and now that it's hopeless, you just, need, you just need to figure out how to put food on the table for your kids. When it was desperate, like you were looking for a loan and trying to get some credit and figuring out how to things come together. And now that it's hopeless, like you're, you're looking for a bankruptcy attorney. And when it was desperate, you, you were looking for marriage counseling and you were trying to figure out how to put things together. And now it's hopeless and you're, and you're looking for a divorce attorney. When it was desperate, you were looking for some medication. You were looking for some prescriptions for, for, your, for your child. And, and, and now you're, you're looking for a casket. The situation's hopeless. What do you do when a desperate situation turns into a hopeless 
situation? Are you, have you ever been there before? Am I just preaching to myself, or has anybody ever experienced this before, where that desperation turns to hopelessness? King David in the book of Psalms, I love reading it because he was so honest. He was so transparent. He was so raw. One of the reasons I believe that God inspired this book is because people are so real with what they're feeling. And and, in Psalms chapter number 13, we see the, the psalmist David, and he's just crying out to God because he's finding himself in the midst of this hopeless situation. And he says to God, he says, how long, Lord? It's like this rhetorical question. He's like just, He's just crying out to God in his hopelessness. He says, how long are you going to forget me? And he says, you're going to do it forever? Have you ever been there before? You're in this hopeless, desperate situation, and it's like, God, are you going to leave me in this place forever? He goes on to say, how long are you going to hide your face from me? He's saying, God, I'm crying unto you. I'm trying to seek you. I want to know you, but it feels like you're hiding from me. And I'm sure Jarius began to feel some of these same emotions. He told Jesus what he needed. He told Jesus what his daughter was going through. He's rushing toward her. He turns around and it's like Jesus is gone. Have you ever felt like that before? Like God was there for everybody else, but he just wasn't there for you. He was there for other people's financial situation and problems, but when it came to your financial situation, he just was nowhere to be seen. And he, he was there for other people's marriage, but when it came to your marriage, it just didn't seem to help out. And, and when it came to you know, your family and your relationship, it seemed like God was with those people and those people, but when it came to your, and you just feel hopeless. And that's what David's crying out. He says, how long will you hide your face from me? He goes on to say, how long do I have to wrestle with these thoughts, God? It says, day after day, there's sorrow in my heart. And maybe for you, it was like for a season, you wrestled with this desperate hopelessness. And days turned into weeks, and weeks turned into months, and months turned into years. And now you're beginning to wonder if this is not your new reality. Is marriage, a marriage like this, is this just what is, this just what is going to be forever? Is the way my life is going, not fulfilling the dreams, the hopes, or the plans for the future, is, just, is, this, is, this, is this my new reality? And maybe for some of you, and you're, you're desperately wanting kids, and, and you're praying that God will provide children, and you're, you're sitting here wondering if, if a life without children is going to be what your future is going to be forever. That's where David's at. Day after day have sorrow in my heart. He says in verse number three, look on me and answer, Lord, oh God. He's just saying, God, please. I'm tired of feeling like I'm praying to a ceiling. I'm tired of feeling like you're not answering. I'm tired of feeling like you don't hear. I'm tired of feeling like you don't understand. God, please just answer me. He says, give light to my eyes. God, I want to see you in this situation. I want to know that you're aware of what's going on in my life. I want, I want to see, I want to be able to perceive that, that you're ordering my steps. He goes on, or I'm going to sleep in death. Basically what the psalmist is saying here, he's saying, God, if I, if I can't see you in this situation, God, if I can't get through this, just let me die. I can't live like this. 
You ever been there? Where life got so desperate. Life got so hopeless that you're literally like, God, you're, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to do something big. I, I don't know if I can do it anymore. And that's this is like what the psalmist is saying. He's like, I can't take it. says in verse 4, my enemies are going to say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice in my fall. You ever just feel totally defeated? You ever just get to this place where you're just like, I can't go on. It is, your situation is so desperate. Your situation is so hopeless. You don't even have, know how to move forward. As a pastor, I can get so... Uh, overwhelmed sometimes by the amount of hurt that exists in our world. Part of what I do is counseling, and and counseling can be a very overwhelming thing because of the fact that as people come, there's such desperate situations, and I'm telling you what, whether it's in marriage, or whether it's in their finances, or whether that's in, you know, some emotional realm of their life, the reality is the, the the counseling can be so, so intense that oftentimes people find themselves in just desperate and oftentimes even hopeless situations. And I see this on a regular basis. And for many of you, that's where you're at right now. It's either very desperate or it's entirely hopeless. But then he says in verse number five, but but I trust. And I find it interesting what David says he trusts in. He doesn't trust in the fact that everything's going to work out. He's not putting his confidence in the fact that everything's going to come together. It says here, he says, I trust in your unfailing love. You see, what, G, what, what David was putting his confidence in was not that his boss was going to do what was right or that his pastor was going to take care of things or, or that the, his, his marriage or the person that says who loved him most, he wasn't putting his trust in any physical human being. He put his trust in the fact that he was loved by God. He says, my heart rejoices in your salvation. His ultimate hope was in the fact that he knew for sure he'd one day have a home in heaven and even if everything on this earth just went, just went sideways, He knew he had a future with God for all of eternity. And that's where he found his hope. I'm going to throw this on the screen, but there will come a time in the life of every individual when they truly believe with every fiber of their being that everything is finished. It's done, and life as they know it is over. And if you've not yet come to that point in your life, I'm telling you, it'll probably happen. There will come a moment, and it'll be some relational issue. It'll be in your marriage. It'll come to your career. It'll be finance. It'll be your health. It'll be looking at the future. And, and you will, in your emotional state, you will feel like every, your life as you know it is over. It's done. But it's only then we begin to discover that moment, that that moment where we feel that, where we're experiencing it, where we're sensing that, that moment is really just the beginning of something new, something fresh, and something even exciting. Notice verse number 36. Hey, your daughter's dead. Notice what it says in the end of verse 35. This person says to Jairus, 
Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? It's hopeless. You don't even have to talk to God about it. God can't even fix this. That's what's being said here, verse 36. But as soon as Jesus heard that word, here's what I want to remind you of. Even when it seems like God's not paying attention, and even when it seems like God doesn't notice, and even when it seems like you don't have his attention, I want you to know that he is always aware of what you're going through. He is always hearing your cry. He always knows exactly what you're experiencing, and he cares about you. He loves you, and he's in control. And Jesus, as soon as he heard the word, remember he was talking over here to the lady with the issue of blood, but because he's Jesus, he's also hearing the conversation that's happening over here. As soon as he heard it, he said unto Jairus, be not afraid. You know why he said be not afraid to Jairus? Because Jairus was afraid. (laughs) His daughter just died. A desperate situation turned hopeless. And Jesus says, only believe. Trust that all things work together for good to them that love God. I find it interesting. In verse 39, Jesus says, why are you making all this ado? Why are you guys all so worked up? Why are you weeping? Why are you crying? He says, the damsel's not dead. She's just sleeping. Now, here's the reality. She was dead. In the, in the physical realm, she was dead. If you've ever seen Princess Bride, she was dead dead. <laughs> if you've not seen the movie, that joke made no sense to you. <laughs> but I'm here to say this. God's reality is not our reality. What you see as being desperate and hopeless is not necessarily heaven's perspective. See, you're here and you're like, this is desperate and this is hopeless and this is done and this is over. And the reality is that might not be God's perspective. To you, what's dead might just be sleeping to God. To you, what feels like it's over might just be a new beginning from God's perspective. See, from your perspective, it's it's finished. And from God's perspective, it all might just be getting started. Yeah, it might be the end of a chapter, but the story is still going on. And I want you to know that you have a master author who is writing your story perfectly for your situation. Which leads us here to this next verse. The Bible says, and they laughed them to scorn. They're saying, you're ridiculous. She's dead. They laughed them to scorn. I'm gonna say this. When you live from heaven's reality, 
When you see things with eyes of faith from God's perspective, mark it down, you will be laughed at, you will be mocked, you will be scorned, because everybody else will say, "Eh, that's not reality, you're delusional. And I'm here to say this, that yes, in an earthly plane, an earthly reality, it might be desperate, it might be hopeless, but nothing's hopeless with God. He's on the throne. He's in control. And he's still working all things together for good, which leads us to our final thought this morning, and that is this. Where we see a, here we see a desperate and hopeless situation. God turns into a miraculous situation. Second Corinthians chapter number 12, verse 9 says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. The Bible says, God says, My strength, my grace, my goodness is enough. I know you're going through something desperate. I know you're going through something hopeless. I know it seems overwhelming. I know it seems like it'll never come together, but I want you to know what is hopeless, what is desperate, what is overwhelming with God is just the opportunity for the miraculous. And that's what we see here. A miraculous situation because sometimes it takes an overwhelming breakdown to experience an undeniable breakthrough. And when you come to the place that you're at the end of yourself, it puts you to where you can begin to experience the fullness of all the grace that is provided to you in God. See, what appears dead in your life might just need the provisional miraculous hand of God. You say there was a time when my marriage was on the rocks, but now it's over. I've had several, several occasions to perform wedding ceremonies on individuals who were previously divorced. It's it's an unbelievable, it's an an awesome experience to see how God can reconcile that which is dead. I've seen so many times where in a financial situation or in a marriage situation where people would come to me and say, it's over and to see the miraculous hand of God resurrect the situation that was dead. That's the power of your God. When everything seems desperate and when everything seems hopeless, that's, that's where God begins to work. That's where God begins to do his greatest, greatest works. Now, I know most of you probably don't like spoilers in movies. You ever had some friend or something give you a spoiler, like you want to see this movie, or, or maybe it was a football game that you couldn't watch live, and so you had it, you know, TiVo'd or recorded, and you didn't want anybody to tell you what happened because you wanted to see that thing. How many of you find it irritating when somebody spoils the ending for you? It's a little irritating, all right? Now, I don't mean to irritate you, but I'm going to give you a little spoiler about your life. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Say, how can you say that? Because your God is on the throne. He knows what you're going through. He's omniscient. 
He doesn't just know, but he actually cares as an Abba, heavenly father. He cares more deeply than you care for your children. Your Abba, heavenly father, cares about the situation you're going through. And not only does he know, and not only does he care, but he is actually powerful enough to do something about the situation that you have called desperate and that you have called hopeless. And you can hope beyond hope because that is how big your God is. He knows, he cares, and he can deliver. If you ain't done, if you ain't dead, it ain't done. God's still working. Now, I do want to caveat it with this. Not everything in this life has a happy ending. But never forget that this life is not the end of the story. This is not all there is. God in his sovereignty will sometimes choose to resolve and resurrect in this life. And in other situations, what he does is rather than fix the situation, rather than heal the situation, he heals our broken heart in the midst of the situation so one day he can fulfill the promise that he will make all things right again. I hope that you have a deep conviction of the reality of heaven because regardless of what happens here on earth, the reality is this. There is coming a day where he will wipe away every tear and he will make all things right again. While not everything in this world has a perfect ending, this life is not the end of the story. Because with God, the death of a thing is never the end. Can I ask you this question? What is it that you're declaring as being desperate? What is it that you're calling hopeless? What is God saying about it? What does God name it? Because with God, there are no hopeless situations. There are just people who have grown hopeless about the situation. Let's keep our heart fixed on him. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.